This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers. Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Label Sternbach and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words of the wise on New Beginnings. And our program is underway right now. The esteemed commissioner for the Minnesota Department of Health, Brooke Cunningham. It's really interesting that uh, I don't see very many masks anymore. Do you promote wearing masks if you get sick? I think people have to make that uh, decision. If you get sick, I would wear a mask. Um, people, I wear a mask if I'm sick. I, I wear a mask when I am in clinics. Um, I wear a mask. It, it makes me feel more comfortable that um, I'm not spreading uh, anything to anybody else and I have that layer of protection for myself and I know people have you know different feelings but um, you know even when I get on on the plane I'm gonna have that K95 on. I understand. I just read uh, just a couple of days ago that it's not so much the airplanes you just mentioned traveling it's not so much the yeah. airplanes but it's uh, the hotel rooms where it's really dry and uh, I read where if you run hot water and you use a saline solution that can help you to stay more healthy than about anything else. I will have to look into that, Freddie. I haven't heard that, but I will say the planes have those good ventilation systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, I, I'm one to be safer than sorry. And, and people are on there, you know you go sit beside the person who ends up coughing and hacking the whole time. So, yes. um, you know, I just, I like to be fully protected um, and, and just mindful that people can carry COVID and not even know it, right? And so as we're moving about, um, it is good to be perhaps the hotel rooms or something with the ventilation systems, you know, to the extent that you can increase ventilation in the spaces that you're in. Uh, that's good. That's good, too. I'm going to Virginia. I might be able to do that. In Minnesota, it's a little hard to sometimes open up the, the window in the door. I think I brought something back from Alabama with me and I'd rather have left it there. So what can you tell yeah. people about vaccination, particularly those who might be hesitant or don't think they really need to get vaccinated? Yeah, I, I see that a lot. I think the one thing that I, I see the most is that people think the shots that they had before are, are good enough. And unfortunately, they're, they're, they're just not good enough. Um, the virus, you know, changes up. It changes over time. The old shots don't meet what the current virus looks like. So, so I would tell people, please go get your best protection to the current circulating COVID strains, uh, COVID strains that are out there. Everyone, Dr. Brooke Cunningham, and you mentioned, are you still practicing? You mentioned uh, seeing people in clinic. Are you still an active practitioner? I, I still am at the Community University Healthcare Center, and, um, and you know, I love that that is, has always been uh, my people. You know, my, you know, you got the people station. I feel like we got the people's <laughs> clinic, and, um, and I love, you know, I just love to stay in touch um, just to care for the people I've come to know. But also, you know, when you're on the front lines, you see things a little different. Wow, that's really interesting. The commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Health still seeing people in clinic. What would be your final thought for us this holiday season as we go into where we're seeing more people than we normally see during the course of the year? 
Again, we're seeing the people we love the most, right? A lot of times around these sessions, around these seasons. Um, and so we want to keep them safe and healthy. And, and part of that is, is getting vaccinated. Part of that is, you know, washing your hands, staying home if you're sick um, and doing all of those practices. So I want everybody to enjoy their holiday. Um, and, and I think you enjoy it more when you have some peace of mind uh, that you're covered and if, if and the ones around you will be protected. Well, happy holidays to you, Commissioner. And thank you so much for always answering our call and sharing great information with the people who need it so much. Thank you for being with us this morning and happy holidays. And today is National Go Singing Day. Tune up your voice so you can join others in just singing. Singing is a form of celebration. When you sing and dance, it releases wonderful endorphins that help you to feel better. So whether it's with family or with friends, today is a time to sing a song all day long. I'm Freddie Bell, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us. And now our supporting partner, AARP in the Twin Cities. Joining us now is Jay Happala. He is the Associate State Director for Minnesota's AARP, and it's a new year, and I'm imagining, Jay, there might be new scams for which we need to be really, really vigilant. Good morning. As usual, good morning, Freddie, and good morning to all the listeners out there in the Twin Cities and beyond. And yes, Happy New Year. It's time to get back to work, and these scammers are at work. They haven't quit. You know, every year we see increases in the amount of money that's lost to fraud. And we don't have the reports from 2023 quite yet. But no matter what, when these numbers come out, we're going to find out that billions of dollars were lost to these criminals. And it's going to be more than four times as much money that was lost in the year 2019. So that wasn't very long ago. And of course, what's happened between now and then was the big global pandemic. And that really made people vulnerable. So we're seeing huge increases in the amount of money lost to fraud. And it tells me that people right now can make a real difference by uh, working with their family and understanding, making a commitment really to being protected and make sure their situation is all squared away so that they're not vulnerable to fraud. It's interesting. So you uh, talked about uh, making sure you talk with your family. That's one tip. Do you have some others that we can employ to protect ourselves against would-be fraudsters? Yeah, the first thing that it takes is the right mindset. And I'll bet some of your listeners out there right now are thinking, you know, I'm too smart for this. I know all the tricks. I'm not going to be the next victim. But it's not your book smarts and it's not your street smarts that are going to protect you from fraud. You know, when people do get victimized and they lose money, it's really about stress and and isolation. It's not about being smart. Uh, We all have those moments when we're vulnerable. So, you know, that's the first step is just to get in the right mindset because there there are things that people can do to make sure they're protected. They can sort of put their life on autopilot and make sure that they're not uh, going to lose money. And I'll talk about some of those practical steps right now that I recommend for people. Mm-hmm. The first thing to pay attention to is your financial account. So if you got a bank account, if you got credit cards, you got your financial investments, your job as a consumer in the United States of America is to monitor those accounts 
and report the, the suspicious activity you see. So when you do that, you're, you're really covering most of your liability. You're not going to be liable for unauthorized transactions on those financial accounts as long as you are keeping an eye on them and reporting when you see something suspicious. So that's the first step that I recommend for folks. So the, the so, uh, monitoring yeah. your accounts. And uh, is there, did I, am I reading this right? Can you get free credit reports now? Is there now no charge for those? Right. So back before the pandemic, it used to be you could get them a few times a year. But really what we've realized and what even the credit reporting companies have realized is people need access to it more frequently because how we are seeing all this skyrocketing fraud. And the reason that you want to check your credit reports is that if your identity was stolen, uh, you, it would take a long time before any bill collectors are calling you because someone else is out spending money in your name. So right now our law says, and, and the credit reporting bureaus are allowing people to check their credit report weekly if you want to. Um, and you can do that at this website that's called annualcreditreport.com. Mm. So be, ca- be cautious about just going online and searching for free credit reports because if you just do a search online, you're going to find a lot of questionable websites and really imposters who are trying to steal your money and information. So it's important to go to the right website. It's annualcreditreport.com. Wow. We're talking with Jay Hapala from AARP Minnesota. He is all things fraud. Well, he's not fraudulent, but he's trying to protect you from fraud. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, one time about paying with credit cards, and I noticed a lot of people do that. Is that a safe route, or are we opening ourselves to fraud? Yeah, the whole payment landscape is really changing. And if you're like me over the holidays here, you probably got some gift cards. You probably, uh, you know, made some online purchases and maybe use PayPal or Venmo to send some money between family members. And so there's a lot of different ways we make payments nowadays. And it's the number one red flag that I have to tell people about is really to understand the way these payments work and how you're protected or not. And so what I'm trying to get people to understand is that if anyone you're dealing with is saying that you have to pay them with a gift card, a wire transfer, with cryptocurrency, or with one of those peer-to-peer payments like Venmo or Zelle or PayPal, it's time to be very cautious. All of those payment methods can be used safely, but also they're the very types of payments that scammers and criminals want you to pay them with because they can't be traced and there's no consumer protection when you find out that you made a mistake and sent money to the wrong person. Mm. So whenever someone's asking or demanding to be paid with a gift card, wire transfer, cryptocurrency, or that Venmo or Zelle, just be very cautious, probably get some advice, talk to someone about it. I know our listeners can get uh, great information from you. How can we do this independently? I know they can listen to this over and over again with our podcast, but what can we do to stay up to date and stay educated on things that could could separate us from our money? Yeah, because AARP, um, our members are really concerned about these issues, and because, like I've said a number of times, even today, the the amount of money being lost to all of this fraud is skyrocketing. We set up a system. It's called the Fraud Watch Network. So the AARP. FraudWatch Network is online, and and we are publishing our research and all the stories about the latest scams, reports about all of the information coming through our helpline. We get hundreds of calls every week of people reporting all of this fraud. Uh, 
uh, and getting help when they've lost money and they don't know what to do next. So find us online. It's just look up Fraud Watch Network from AARP. And then our phone number is there too. People can call. It's 877-908-3360. All right. A final thought this morning, Jay? Hey, let's all have a happy new year. Uh, make what make it one that's fraud free. All right. Jay, I can't thank you enough for stopping by and keeping our money in our pocket and in our accounts where it needs to be. Thanks so much for being with that's, us today. You got it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me this weekend, and now it's time to turn to the lighter side of my desk for some fun stories. A woman is suing Hershey after she unwrapped a Reese's Halloween peanut butter cup without its signature cute pumpkin face. Cynthia Kelly expected the pumpkin-shaped chocolate to have a jack-o'-lantern face carved into the way it's pictured on the wrapper. Instead, it was a plain pumpkin-shaped candy. Kelly filed a lawsuit against the maker of Reese's, Hershey, claiming it falsely represented several of the holiday products on its packaging. She says in the lawsuit, yes, she filed a lawsuit, that she would not have purchased the Reese's Peanut Butter Pumpkin product if she knew that it didn't have the detailed carvings of the mouth or the eyes as pictured on the product label. Talk about frivolous lawsuit. By law, major retailers in California are now required to have gender-neutral toy aisles. Governor Gavin Newsom signed the bill into law back in 2021. A major retailer is defined as having at least 500 employees. Violations bring a $250 fine for the first offense and up to $500 for each subsequent infraction. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Well, then you better turn up your hearing aid, Pops. There are twins that were just born in both New Jersey and Connecticut in separate years. Virtua Health officials say parents came to Virtua Voorhees Hospital and had one baby born at 11.58 p.m. on New Year's Eve, while the second baby was born at midnight on New Year's Day. The same thing happened in Connecticut at Yale New Haven Hospital. Those twins were born only three minutes apart, but one arrived in 2023 and the other in 2024. And did you know that modern technology saves us two weeks every year? Self-serve checkouts, online shopping, online banking, online grocery ordering, streaming services, paying with our phone and accurate GPS traffic updates are saving us around six and a half hours a week. And if you watch a lot of television, I want to share with you some things that I've learned from watching medical ads. Number one, all senior citizen couples live on the beach and have a golden retriever. All women laugh and dance in meadows during menopause. Overweight people can't date or go on vacations until they're on a weight loss medication. The side effects of drugs are generally worse than the condition they cure or control. You can't get drugs for conditions you didn't know required drugs. You get that? You can't get drugs for conditions you didn't know required drugs. And tooth whiteners give you perfectly straight, even teeth with no chips or gaps. And finally, if you need to lower your blood pressure, pet a dog. Any pet parent can vouch for the fact that spending time with your furry friend is a great way to relieve stress and more. A study found that petting your dog can actually help lower your blood pressure. The findings, which they refer to as the pet effect, were the results of a study where 60 college students had their blood pressure and heart rates monitored while hanging out with dogs. They came to the conclusion that when someone pets a dog, rather than just talking or interacting with them verbally, their blood pressure is lower, which means that touch 
is the key factor in deriving the greatest benefit from your human-canine interactions. On the lighter side, this is New Beginnings. It's time for my song of the week, and I'm really excited to talk about Metallica this week. James Hetfield, known for being a co-founder of the band, lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist, and a main songwriter for Metallica, is known for his intricate rhythm playing, but occasionally performs lead guitar duties and some solos both live and in the studio. Kirk Hammond is the lead guitarist and a songwriter, and was ranked 11th in Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. 20 years ago, Robert Trujillo, a bassist, joined Metallica in 2003 and they're selling all the strings from their guitars. And a portion of the sale of those strings go to All Within My Hands. The organization is dedicated to creating sustainable communities by supporting workforce education, the fight against hunger, and other critical local services. Metallica is also touring. They're overseas right now, and they'll be making their big stop in the United States, landing at U.S. Bank Stadium on August 18th. And here's one of my favorite songs by Metallica. And you're listening to New Beginnings.
That's Metallica. Their big show lands at U.S. Bank Stadium on August 18th. More New Beginnings is on the way right after this. This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended to be legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast. You're listening to New Beginnings. New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. We're back again and continuing our discussion on Roth conversions. This week, we are going to talk about how much you should convert to Roth this year should you max out your current tax bracket or the next or go all out and cover it all? And what about Irma? Now let's turn our attention to your financial health in retirement. And with us is Label Sternbach. He is an Amazon bestselling author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. So Label, last week we talked about how to know if a Roth conversion makes sense. Now let's talk about how much we should convert. I'm wondering, Label, is there some kind of magical formula you use? I know it's not magical, but it seems like it at times. I've heard a lot of people talk about different strategies. What's your first, what's your second, what's your third strategy? So when it comes to figuring out how much to convert, right, the the question, right, the, the fundamental question is really what's going to have the biggest impact on our financial security Right. And it's what's going to have the impact on our financial security 
in the next, you know, 10 years. And then the the years I really like to look at is between age 80 and age 90. And the reason for that is because during those years, or sorry, between age 80 and age 100. And the reason for that is that's where your required minimum distributions start to skyrocket, right? Almost everyone I see can make it through to age 80, no problem. Age 85, things start to deteriorate, and that's where that compounding impact of these decisions of, you know, you max out the Roth conversion, you were fine until age 85, right? But then all of a sudden, things start to go haywire because the compounding differences, right, the, the, you know, 15, 20 years of compounding growth or loss of growth starts to really catch up to you. So the questions that I always ask, right? Um, so number one, right, if we're in something like the 12% tax bracket, then I always recommend, you know, almost always recommend maxing out that for conversions. Because the way I look at it is, well, 12%, we know taxes are going to go up. I doubt the 12% tax bracket is going to stay uh, long term, right? Uh, the lowest tax bracket has been higher in the past, um, is almost certainly going to be higher into the, in the future. So I think that's a worthwhile bet to make, right? Um, now going beyond the 12% tax bracket, that starts to become dicey because now we're talking about 22%, right? So if I'm giving you, you know, 20, if I'm, if I'm taking a 22% loss on all my money up front, that's a big hurdle for me to overcome, right? I need to, I need to have like almost a 50% return in order to get back to even, that's that takes a long time, right? That's a lot of money. And I'm doing all of that for the potential to save money on taxes down the road, which, you know, if if I know for sure that based on how the tax system is set up right now, the and you know, where my income is gonna be adjusted for inflation in the future, that I'm probably gonna be in the 22% tax bracket, then you know, that's that's a reasonable assumption to make. That, you know, um, depending on my outlook, right, maybe I'll max out the 22. And then if you're doing 22, you might as well do 24% and look at that because 2% more, right, that's nothing um, when you, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But the real question becomes, right, is how does that impact my financial security long term? How does that impact my lifestyle long term, right? We need to know the answers to those questions. Because just because we're saving money on taxes now, just because it means that in the future we can pull the money out tax-free does not mean that we're going to have more money at the end of the day, right? It doesn't mean that we're going to have more money to fund our lifestyle. And if we have expenses up front, right, we, that, that, that can be catastrophic for us, right? I don't want you, you know, let's say you have a million bucks. I don't want you giving $200,000 to the IRS on the hopeful bet that at some point in the future, you're going to save more than that in taxes. That's uh, that's an interesting uh, perspective there. We're, everybody, we're talking with Label Sternbach. He's Amazon's best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety. So you mentioned maxing out uh, your current tax bracket. What are the pros and cons of maxing it out? And why would you want, even want to go to the next tax bracket? I know earlier you said, what's another 2%? How would you answer that? Yeah. So, so the reason for maxing out your current tax bracket, right, is, well, you're already in, in this tax bracket right now. And chances are, right, if you're in it right now, unless you're still earning money, um, unless you're still working and you're getting a paycheck, chances are you're probably going to stay in that relative zone of income throughout your retirement. 
So if we think taxes are going to go up in the future, which I mean, almost everybody thinks taxes have to go up in the future, then why would we assume we would be in a lower tax bracket down the road, right? So that's the argument, right? And it's not necessarily a dollar and cents argument, right? Because if you map it out and you do the math, you may be like, oh, well, I'm paying more in taxes to convert the current tax bracket. But we know, you know, rationally, logically, we know the taxes are probably going to increase, right? There's a high probability of that happening. Um, and by the way, I, I don't know if you've been following the what's been happening with the treasuries, um, but we're starting to see some of those signs of stress that I've talked about on the podcast before that would be the precursor to taxes having to increase. And one of those precursors, one of those things is that the federal government cannot refinance their debt at affordable interest rates. And right now, the treasury, the you know, the auctions on treasuries, which is how the federal government refinances their debt, has been the lowest it's been in a very long time because people aren't don't have the same appetite to buy their debt, especially at these interest rates when they can get better elsewhere. Or the big buyers like China just don't want money leaving their country. And so they're not rebuying, right? They're letting their their treasuries mature and they're not replacing them. So where when that happens, the federal government, when they can't get money from outside, they're going to have to get it internally, right? So at some point, taxes have to go up. I, I think that that's a given. The mm-hmm. question is, is what what are you going to experience? And based on your lifestyle, right, you're the only one who knows what your lifestyle is and whether you're going to be spending more or less in retirement. Um, but I think it's a fair assumption that your taxes probably are going to remain pretty consistent. Um, and the way I kind of look at it is your taxes that you're paying right now, how are you relative to somebody who is working? Right. Is the amount of income that you're taking out in retirement similar to a middle class person who is working, a middle class white collar worker? Because if you're similar to a middle class white collar worker, right, meaning that you're living on somewhere like a hundred thousand to, you know, two hundred thousand a year, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. So somewhere between seventy-five and hundred and fifty, let's say, right? Um, if you're living in that range, you're going to be the target for Congress, right? Because they're not going to care whether you're retired or not. What they're going to really be going after is the bulk of the working population. And they're going to be targeting taxes toward those people. And you're going to get swept up in that. Conversely, if you're at the bottom end of the tier, right? And your taxable income is, you know, at the federal poverty line because you're taking it out of Roths, because you're taking it out of, you know, qualified dividends or, you know, qualified interest or capital gains, right? And you're not, your your taxable income on your tax return is, you know, below $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're probably going to get all the subsidies, right? We talk about being a welfare state. It goes to the bottom tier workers, right? The people who are making the least amount of money. And that's where I want you to be in retirement. I want your tax return to look no different than the person who is managing a McDonald's, right? And is struggling to make ends meet because they're the ones who get all the federal subsidies. They're the ones who the tax code is a wealth transfer system and not a way of paying taxes. And so you really need to kind of, you know, do that math and say to yourselves, where am I going to be? And how do I position myself, you know, uh, so that I'm in that lower tax bracket? And so when you talk about converting, right, I I want you to keep a few things in mind, right? We want to be in the lower tax bracket. So when we're in the lower tax bracket, take full advantage of it. When we're in the higher tax bracket, 
what's the difference between 22 and 24%? Realistically speaking, if we're willing to give up one fifth of our money to save taxes down the road, then we should be give it, be willing to give up, you know, 2% more, right? Go from one fifth to one quarter. Um, the math does not change between, you know, 20% and 24% or 22% and 24%. Um, if it was the right decision at 22%, it's the right decision at 24%. And then finally, right, when you look at all that, you then need to say, will I save enough money over time and will it impact my financial security in such a way that I'm comfortable with, right? Given the all the unknowns that I have and the really the only way to answer that question is to map it out and see what those numbers look like because I guarantee you, you're going to fall somewhere in the middle. Label is helping us to uh, make some decisions with our Roth conversions. And I know you've talked about it often on this show, Label, about how the biggest threat to retirement is drawdown or the decrease in the value of your portfolio. Can you share with us right now about how that relates to the Roth conversion question? And I guess more importantly, how we should be thinking about the hit we might take when doing a Roth conversion. Yeah, so we really, you know, when I when when I think about the financial decisions that we make in retirement, the the context I look at it from is by asking these five questions, right? These these are what I see as being the five major risks. Risk number one is drawdown, anything that decreases our portfolio value, right? Because at the end of the day, right, you know, the government says they're going to give us money for Social Security, but we know that behind the scenes, they're pulling the rug out from under us. They're doing everything they can to make that check as small as possible, right? And we know that they're going to run into funding problems as the retiree population outnumbers the working population, right? It just, that's how it is. It's a, it's a legalized uh, Ponzi scheme. Um, so we know that that's a problem that's coming down the road, which means that we need to make sure we have as much resources as possible to support ourselves. The other thing we need to keep in mind is that medical science and, you know, the cost of care and the cost of, you know, um, living a life of comfort, right? We don't want to be living on the streets. We want to, we don't want to be living as a ward of the state. We want to make sure that we're living with dignity and comfort and to to our standards. And so that means having resources to be able to pay for life, right? And so when we look at our resources, they are finite and we need to protect them. And we, the biggest expense that we're going to have in retirement is probably going to be taxes. So we want to make sure to protect against that. But by the same token, it's anything that decreases our portfolio value. So it doesn't matter if it's marked losses, doesn't matter if taxes, doesn't matter if it's paying retail, doesn't matter if it's a sudden and unexpected expense, right? A tree falls on our car and we need to get a new car. We need to make sure that when we're paying for that expense, we're doing it in a way that doesn't upset our long-term financial security, right? And so it may be worth paying, you know, uh, getting a loan and paying interest so that we have that money for the compounding growth over, you know, 30 years, whereas a car loan, you know, gets paid off in three or four years, right? And so those are, you know, we need to stop playing checkers and start doing, you know, calculus, playing, you know, three-dimensional chess, because that's really what retirement is. And if we're not willing to do it, the government has an army of statisticians who are doing it. Their entire job is to figure out how to take money from one person's pocket, give it to the federal government, and then slowly dole it out so that, in theory, our country becomes a better place. So as an advisor, how do you walk that narrow path between uh, the people on the left and the people on the right? So for the average investor, how do you help them to navigate how much they should convert with Roth? So the, the the only question that I really think the you know matters right is 
at the end of the day, how will it impact your lifestyle, right? And there's and lifestyle is a subjective thing, right? There's a, a subjective component and objective. So the subjective is is I feel safe, I feel secure, right? I feel like you know the fact that I want to make sure that the vast majority of my money isn't taxable in the future, right? I'm worried about taxes in the future. If that's what keeps you up at night, that, at night, then by all means, we need to protect against it. On the same token, I want to make sure that you know we're not paying, we're not protecting ourselves from the demons under the bed. By but sacrificing, you know, having a roof over our table and letting very real monsters into our home, right? <laughs> so we want to make sure that we're balancing, you know, the potential disasters from the actual disasters. And my goal as a financial advisor is to understand what are the things that are important to you and then making sure that we have a financial plan that is sound and protects against the things that we know for certain are going to happen or we have a high probability are and uh, uh, a high probability that are going to happen and what we look at right and you know right now tax time this is what I'm doing with all of our clients is we go through and we reevaluate all those decisions and we say based on where we are today based on our assumptions what do we want to do right and there's no right or wrong answer but there is, you know, there is, does this make us more financially secure or less financially secure? And if it's something that's neutral, then it's something that, you know, that's a decision that's, you know, we then look at the subjective side, right? And say, well, it makes us sleep better at night, then let's do it. If it doesn't, right? If, if it all of a sudden it's teetering to the other side and it's making us not sleep at night because we might run out of money, right? Or it's making me as your advisor feel like we might run out of money. That that is a conversation that we have because um, the last thing that we want is you know to sacrifice one you know one security for another. Makes a lot of sense. And unfortunately, label we have to leave it right there. You've given us a lot to think about, and that's all the time we have left for today. But you can join us next week as we talk about Irma and how it impacts your Roth conversion strategy. And a reminder: you can visit yieldsforyou.com classes and information yields. The number four, the letter U.com. Right now, it's time for this week's Words to the Wise. If you don't ask, you don't get. It talks about the direct relationship between initiative and attainment, and it also emphasizes the critical role of proactive behavior in achieving our desires. The message here is pretty straightforward. To receive what you want or even need, it's essential to overcome hesitation and vocalize your request, recognizing that asking is often the first step toward obtaining your goals. Today's words to the wise, if you don't ask, you don't get. You can find more at freddiebell.com. As New Beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program, where we introduce the senior minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress. popular author Marianne Williamson said in her first and most famous book, A Return to Love, that God, the divine, speaks to us in a way we can hear. That's comforting. God gets our attention uniquely. 
For some of us, it's on Sunday morning in a beautiful worship service with wonderful music and focused prayer that some of us grasp that idea of the Christ incarnation, Christ within. Others explore this world of wonders in many ways. The arts, exploring nature, and there, they really get it. They get that idea. Others reach a hand out to the world, encouraging the disheartened, feeding the hungry, visiting those that are in some form of bondage, mental or imprisoned. They reach out and serve another, lifting another up, and that's how they get the idea. I tried to convey last week in the Easter lesson this idea of service, ministering, helping another. For those of us that have most of our life needs met, we're relatively comfortable. Some are extremely comfortable and blessed with many things. People that live in abundance, if you think about it, they only get this idea, they only find this joy through reaching out and helping those who don't have as much. Think about it. Their prayers, their desires, their dreams, their goals have been met. Where are they going to find joy? But in helping others discover the goodness of God. And for those of us that have limitations or lack in our life, our joy comes when someone comes to help us, to lift us up, to encourage us, a teacher, an aide, someone that helps you and then you get it. This grand idea. I must be worth something. Carol came to my aid. Gerald thought I was worthy of help, of a little boost. As Marianne Williamson said, God speaks to us in a way that we can hear uniquely our way. Rohr goes on to describe this incarnational world view. The divine, the Christ is permeating all. He 
He describes it as an idea in which matter and spirit are understood to have never been separated. Rudolf Steiner said it very simply and briefly, which is kind of unusual for Rudolf Steiner. And he said, there is never matter, this material stuff, there is never matter that is not filled with spirit. And there is never spirit in isolation that is not expressing somehow in matter. Many of us have believed God up there We're alone down here. The Christ idea. It's all one. It's all one. Our part is to understand that. In the church we would say it is our job to hold the faith. To believe in the unlimited possibilities that good will express in each and every situation. This view relies more, listen, on awakening than joining some spiritual community. It relies more on awakening than joining more on seeing than obeying. More on growth in consciousness and love than on clergy, experts, morality, scriptures, or rituals. The code word that Rohr chooses for this worldview this perspective on life is simply Christ. And in our tradition, it is, you know, Christ within. So I invite you this week, we'll begin in a moment of silence, but play with this preposition and this proposition. Play with this idea of divinity, of God's presence, of the risen one, of the anointed, of the power, of the good. Is it located within you? Or is it your proposition, your perspective, your worldview, how you see others? how you see this world, how you see the possibilities, how you see the path before you. It is a world of wonders. So let's take a moment and turn within. I'm going to speak a very old form of this idea, it inspired our prayer for protection that we speak every Sunday and hopefully more often than that.
It was taken from the 5th century prayer attributed to St. Patrick. St. Patrick's breastplate is protection. And I'll speak it in part. I invite you to close your eyes and let this go to the very center, the very withinness of your being. Be Christ this day my strong protector against poison and wounding. Through reward, wide and plenty. Christ beside me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ to the right of me. Christ to the left of me. Christ is in my lying my sitting, my rising. Christ is heart of all who know me. Christ on tongue of all who meet me. Christ in eye of all who see me. Christ in ear of all who hear me. You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the Senior Minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at unitysouth.org. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. And did you know that you can find us online? Just go to freddiebell.com, click on the word podcast, and if you've missed any show, you can find it in its entirety right there. And it happened this week in 1872. The first patent list was issued by the U.S. Patent Office. In 1888, the drinking straw was patented by Marvin C. Stone of Washington, D.C. In 1920, Boston Red Sox owner Harry Frazee sold pitcher outfielder Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees for one $125,000 and a $350,000 loan. In 1938, the Mother's March was organized to fight infantile paralysis and later became the March of Dimes. In 1959, Alaska became the 49th state of the Union. In 62, ground was broken for the Houston Astrodome. In 1967, Jack Ruby died. He is famous for killing suspected President Kennedy assassin Lee Harvey Oswald. In 1973, CBS sold the New York Yankees baseball club to a 12-member group headed by George Steinbrenner. The team sold for $10 million. In 1976, the U.S. conducted a nuclear test in Nevada. In 1977, the technology company Apple became incorporated. And in 1987, Aretha Franklin became the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Freddie Bell, 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 Freddie Bell, 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 Bell. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week.